Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture for today is from John 10. It's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to read along. Verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, for there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's this podcast I love. Did you guys know we had a podcast? We have a podcast. Um, Hope you subscribe. Um, But I listen to a lot of podcasts. And there's one I called, or one I love called Rough Translation. And it looks at things we're talking about here in the US race, gender, parenthood, social etiquette, freedom, et cetera, and follows those conversations into other places around the world. And there's episodes about rudeness as rebellion in Uganda, or how humor is a social bomb in Ukraine, or how women are reading Jane Austen in Pakistan. The thesis of this show is that the obstacles that we face around the world are not so different, which we know after a year of living through a global pandemic. But the lenses through which we view these obstacles are different. And maybe by borrowing someone else's lens, we might view our own experiences differently. So Rough Translation's most recent episode is about a McDonald's in France a very American franchise in a French town. And you know, every company has its own corporate culture, slogans and values that you're expected to learn and live by as an employee. And McDonald's exports its corporate culture along with its Big Mac recipe. But the episode asks, what happens when the employees of the McDonald's take that corporate philosophy so deeply to heart that it actually gets in the way of business. 
In this episode of Rough Translation, Marseille, France, a lo- in, in Marseille, France, a local troublemaker finds a new start working at McDonald's as a teenager and completely embraces what he sees McDonald's to stand for. Now, the slogan here in the U.S. for McDonald's is what? Anybody know? No, no one knows. Oh, it's okay. I'm loving it. <laughs> Thought it was a little bit more common knowledge. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> So the slogan here is, I'm loving it. You know, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. But in France, the slogan is, come as you are. And the local troublemaker, his name is Kamel, saw that to mean that anyone can find a new beginning by working at McDonald's. And throughout the story, a bunch of the workers turn this local franchise into a bastion of community values at the chagrin of the corporate owners who do not care more about the revitalization of a community than the bottom line of this business. So when corporate threatens to shut down this neighborhood branch, there's this whole dramatic legal standoff and it feels very revolutionary and inspiring and the story seems to end on a cliffhanger. Will the McDonald's stay open for this community or will it move somewhere more profitable? And then the pandemic hits, and people in the neighborhood are losing their jobs and are unable to feed their kids. So without any resolution on the legal battle and without any official permission from McDonald's, this former restaurant becomes occupied by its loyal workers and repurposed as a food pantry and community hub. And the volunteers change the slogan from McDonald's, come as you are ever so slightly, to as you are, come. It's an invitation in this difficult time to come and get help. And the workers actually dismantled the iconic lettering of the McDonald's sign, you know, with the big yellow M, and rearranged them to read La Priem, roughly translating to after McDonald's. And this very American franchise with its slogan and corporate culture, willing to hire neighborhood kids, but ultimately wanting to make money the most, was wrested away from the powerful people and reimagined by the local workers. And what is so fascinating about this story is the workers feel that they are being true to what they learned at McDonald's. The workers see this invitation for people to, as they are, come, a rough translation They see this as a rough translation of what they learned working there. So it's not a McDonald's anymore, even though technically on some business documents it is. It's La Priem, what comes after McDonald's. And so, this text we've read today, this idea of Jesus being the good shepherd is a conversation that has been going on for a long time, just like Pastor Katie said. And like the McDonald's employees in Marseille, we are receiving a concept that seems foreign to us. And now we must make it our own, while also respecting its original context. Most of us are not sheep herders, though some of you do work with livestock. But even if we did have a church herd of sheep, our 21st century Western version of sheep herding is vastly different than Iron Age Afro-Asiatic sheep herding. 
So whatever understanding we have of what Jesus is talking about in terms of shepherding through books or movies or experts is but a rough translation. And I know that we have a lot of really sweet pictures of Jesus as a shepherd with maybe a, a spotless you nearby, or maybe he's holding a little lamb in his arms and smiling. And in these pictures, he always looks freshly showered, like he smells like flowers rather than sheep musk. So let's hold that picture of Jesus in our minds for a minute. And then bid him adieu and wave goodbye for today. Goodbye, inaccurate portrayal of Shepherd Jesus. You smell so good, but you're not needed here today. And as we wave goodbye to this precious moments version of Jesus, it's worth noting that even if we explored in those, what it, even if we explored all the important things to know about being a shepherd in those days, we wouldn't really get it. At least, not like John's audience got it or the students of the Torah would get it. Even if we spent an hour discussing how dangerous sheep herding was because of having to fight actual bears and lions and thieves to protect the sheep, and how these shepherds would have to sleep out in the elements always living on the edges of society, we wouldn't quite understand. And we could talk about the centrality of sheep in Jewish culture, how the people drank their milk and turned it into cheese and eventually ate the animals, and discuss how a sacrificial lamb was more than just dinner, but part of a religious ritual for high holy days like Passover, and how sheep were not mere pets or pure capital, but were caught up in the life of the shepherd and by extension, the whole community. But that discourse would still not lead us to an exact equivalent in our modern world. And perhaps we could explore how the image of the shepherd had been applied to God in the prophet Ezekiel's writing explicitly. And in this Ezekiel text, there's a lot of consternation about bad shepherds. And we, we get what Jesus might be implying by calling himself the good shepherd, right? So this throwback to the prophets, in addition to Jesus using I am statements about himself added to the godness of his identity, which was quite upsetting to the religious elite, but the religious and social dynamics of this whole shepherd conversation is not something we could metabolize fully where we are right now. And of course, it could be helpful to look at the context of these claims deeply, how Jesus had just healed a man born blind, and all the very religious people were in a tizzy, because who but God had authority to heal, and who but someone disrespecting God would do that on the Sabbath, and what in God's name was happening here, and for God's sake, the powerful were losing control of the narrative. And then, you know, we could consider how in this contentious environment, Jesus sliding onto the scene with talk of what makes a good shepherd, which of course suggests that there are bad shepherds, and not only that, but unreliable hired hands and hungry wolves, we would see how Jesus was not speaking into a vacuum, but rather saying some incendiary things right into a powder keg. But even then, with talk of working on the Sabbath 
and sin suspicions about physical disabilities, we would not be able to fully appreciate the depth of what Jesus was talking about in this text. And I mean, there's always the option to layer all of this juicy context over another context that is closer to us, the church calendar. This is the fourth Sunday of Easter, after all, sometimes referred to as Good Shepherd Sunday. And we could examine how from today to Pentecost, our texts are pre-crucifixion discourses in a post-resurrection world helping us reflect on what it means for the man Jesus to be Christ the Messiah and how him being a shepherd this week and a vine next week are crucial to getting it. But as people who do not spend our lives in the fields and in vineyards, we would still be a step or two or ten away from computing exactly what the heck it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. Now maybe you're thinking, You're making this too difficult, Ashley. Sheep and shepherds, not that complicated. Dense sheep, benevolent shepherds, green meadows, still waters. I hear you. But I go to exasperating lengths to say this. There's so much context to scripture, like layers and layers and layers and layers. There's the context of the story. There's the context of the writing of the story, which sometimes happens centuries later. And in the case of this text, at least multiple decades later. Then there's the context of those hearing and reading the story. And then the context of how the story has been interpreted by both Jewish and Christian audiences. And of course, unfortunately, whether or not violence has been perpetrated in the name of these texts or Jesus himself. And finally, there's our own 21st century Western capitalist, democratic, Protestant dominant context. And let's not forget that the US contains multitudes. So how we receive any given scripture here on the corner of Church Street with the distinct cross-sections of race, socioeconomic status, political leanings, gender, sexuality, religious background, etc., within this community is different than how people with all of their distinct aforementioned cross-sections in Detroit, Michigan, or New York City would receive scripture. So all of this context is important because nothing happens in a vacuum. We don't live in a vacuum. And we're not really reliable narrators or independent objective modicums of rationality. But understanding as much context as we can is a good starting point, don't you think? It's like yeast for bread. It won't rise without it. Yeast is essential. Context is essential. However, Perhaps we don't need to live the lives of Iron Age sheep herders to appreciate this Jesus monologue here in Azle, Texas today. Maybe if we looked at it through the lens of the gospel economy of Jesus, we could consider the shepherding ethic of this passage. 
If we cut ourselves loose from the traditional way of thinking about this text, Jesus, the good shepherd, we the sheeple, with all of its context whitewashing, we might be able to draw creative and generative frameworks for living as a resurrection people in our 21st century Western capitalist democratic Protestant dominant context. What if what we're looking at is not so much a metaphor for players in some cosmic battle, but rather an invitation to live our lives in the way of the Good Shepherd? Some of you may be saying, duh. There's a couple of ethical frameworks at play in the sheep encounter. There's the wolf who sees the sheep and snatches and scatters them. To the wolf, sheeps are, or sheeps, sheep are products of consumption. That's it. And then there's the hired hand who manages the sheep, who might even find some of the sheep endearing. But he's got no skin in the game. So when the danger comes, he bails. And he might feel bad or hate to say goodbye, but he's on to the next herd. The moment there's a threat or crisis, he's gone. A hired hand ethic, then, would be to see sheep as a way to spend time, a way to learn a few things, but with the clear distinction of no investment. But then there's the shepherd who loves the sheep, who is willing to give a lot for the sheep, even his own life. And though, like the hired hand, he is looking outside the herd, it's not because he's waiting for the next best thing, but rather looking to expand the herd. The sheep are the beloved, cultivated collective of the shepherd. He is a steward of the sheep. He sees his investment in the sheep as benefiting not only the herd as it is, and not only himself, but also the broader community. And the key is that the shepherd spends so much time and energy and resources on the sheep that they know his specific voice. And they know the difference between a shepherding voice and a hired hand voice and a wolf's growl. And the sheep's identity in the shepherd's care is dynamic and expansive, constantly transforming in shape and number. Today's sheep looks different than yesterday's and will be different from tomorrow's within the shepherding ethic. So it seems that this ethic is more than just standing watch and doing routine maintenance. It's a completely different approach. I love the image of the McDonald's workers rearranging the letters to spell La Priem. What comes after McDonald's? In this act, the incredible truths they learned are not dead or out of business or irrelevant, but are imagined in a new world in a way that makes sense for their community while holding sacred how they got there. What was a place of business with a very clear bottom line has now become a place of generosity and taking care of one's neighbor and investing in the community in a transformed way. 
think there's something to this story. I wonder what La Pre pandemic, La Pre COVID-19 will look like here at Azel Christian Church. How will we transform what we know and the truths that have shaped us for so long for a new world? We've been looking at the markers of membership at Azel Christian Church, and today we consider the practice of stewardship, which is a churchy way to say sharing our resources. And in this practice, practice, we share what we have with the congregation for the good of the congregation and the broader community, because what we learn from the gospel economy of Jesus, of the good shepherd, is that these resources are for sharing. And if we take this rough translation of what being a good shepherd means and lay it over our own distinct and highly specific context, perhaps we might see the shepherding ethic as a way to approach our communal life together. A shepherding ethic invites us to go all in to this community of faith endeavor, to have skin in the game, to put down roots, to invest in each other's lives, to use our power, our capital, and our resources for the good of the herd. And we give ourselves, not in a coercive or manipulative way, but in a self-sacrificial way, a way that says, I lay down my life and I let it go. A shepherding ethic invites us to bring others to the herd because they already have a place in this flock because it's not really our flock anyway. It's God's. And it invites us to establish a voice of familiarity, of trustworthiness, of faithfulness. And we can only do that by putting more than just our name down. Because when we pour things we value into this community, we are saying this community has value. We may be the sheep sometimes. And you know, perhaps we've lived with a hired hand ethic or even a wolf ethic before. But we're invited into a shepherding ethic by the good shepherd himself who gave everything. And now we ask what is ours to give? What is ours to bring? Is it ours in the end? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.